1: i jump out of bed because i love my life living on my terms i know that i will thrive being myself clarity will love so i stand down and be j-u-i-c-y
0: Hello, hello. Welcome to the GFR show. I'm so glad you're here. We're doing this cool new thing where we are replaying some of our best, most favorite episodes, and we're having our guests let us know what have they learned since they recorded that episode. So this episode is with Zarina El-Amin, who is an amazing soul and a former client. And oh my God, she! I love the name of her episode, right? From the dumbest decision to global change agent. And I just love how she takes things seriously, but she laughs. She is like such my role model when it comes to like laughing at ourselves. And so you're going to hear from her some lessons she's learned since the episode that we recorded two years ago. Since then, she's experienced another major loss and some major lessons around being a single parent and an entrepreneur. She's such an inspiration to me for sure. So we're also releasing these episodes on video. So a lot of the episodes we never released on video. So it's kind of like taking the videos from our vault, releasing them on our YouTube channel, and also of course releasing them as a, a new episode in our feed. So I'm happy to share this with you. I'm kind of excited about hearing what she's the lessons that she's learned since she recorded that episode two years ago. And then after she shares share her update, you'll hear her story, and it's a really it's a really inspiring story that. I'm... I know that is going to have you kind of assess any decisions that you have made in your life that you feel are dumb decisions. I know for sure I've been there. So, without further ado, Miss Serena Elamine again.
1: Hey, everybody! This is Serena Elamine. I am a cultural anthropologist. I am a world traveler. I am a global presenter. I am a mother. I am a book coach. I am someone who helps. People connect to themselves and to the world in deeper levels. Lisa asked me to do a new intro for the episode that came out, I guess last year or maybe the year before. And I was re-listening to the episode and thinking about the question that she posed me, which were, what are your three big lessons that you've learned from that, from that time? And for me, some of the biggest lessons that I've learned. I guess number one being allowing death to bring renewal, allowing death to bring renewal. Right now, I'm recording this not from my office, not from my posh, if you will, recording space that I typically record from, but I'm recording this right now in a space that I call one of my soul spots. I decided that rather than me doing this where I am in a contained space, Let me go to where I actually feel renewal. Since my episode came out before, my father passed. And in the episode, I was talking about how I was taking care of my father who had been diagnosed with cancer. Since that time he's passed, it's been about six months or so now. And naturally, big deaths bring big ideas. Big deaths bring big understandings. Big deaths bring big heartaches, big deaths bring a lot of big emotions. And naturally, I'm still in the middle of all of those big emotions. With every death comes renewal, though. And what I've learned from myself is that just as now we're going into our fall season, we're going into autumn, which is the most beautiful time of the year. Point blank, period. Fight me if you want to. But (laughs) autumn is the most beautiful time of the year in my humble opinion. And the trees are changing colors. The leaves are dropping down. And we're realizing that sometimes the things that we hold on to, the things that we love the most, sometimes they fall off. And And I don't mean to minimize my father's death like that because it's not that at all. But I'm realizing that life is life. I don't get to go through life without having things fall off of me. I don't get to go through without having tests. I don't get to go through without being scraped up. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to have some hard things that happen to me in my life. And I have to accept that. And when they happen, I can't allow it to just like knock me out though, right? I have to look at what is the lesson that I'm supposed to get here? And the lessons that I got from my father's passing are one, to continue to do your work, Z. Continue to do your work because the world didn't stop when he passed. The world didn't stop four years earlier when my mother passed. The world didn't stop, you know, when I, when my divorce of 14 years ended, you know what I mean? Like the world doesn't stop. So you can't stop. You have to regroup. Sometimes the leaves fall off and it looks like you're dead, but then you come back and you come back hard and you come back strong and you come back beautiful and you do what your nature calls you to do. So, whatever that is inside of you that you are called to do, that's what you need to bring out, right? And so I learned that with every death comes renewal. Another big thing that I've learned since the last time that I came onto the show this morning is funny because right now I'm recording this, as I said, in my soul spot. I was on my way to my soul spot, and a friend of mine this morning said some like kind of hurtful things this morning, right? And for a moment, I was like, you know what? Forget them. I don't really care about them. I don't want to talk to them anymore. I want to just leave it. And then I realized that actually, that's good. This person has been someone that constantly causes me strife. I try to be understanding and and I try to be someone who's giving and forgiving and all of that. But I realized, you know what? They constantly are causing me interruptions in my peace. (laughs) So what I realized today was that, again, just like the leaves let it go. Let it go. You do not have to continue to try to fix things in a space that you know is not good for you, right? And that's not good for you. And when I talked on the show, I mentioned several times about the fact that we have to be able to pivot and we have to be able to move when it's necessary and when it's shown to us that this is where you need to go. And I think sometimes we continue to hold on to those things that are not beneficial for us just because it's comfortable and because we've done it for a long time. And what I'm saying right now is like release. You know what I mean? Like release. Release whatever's not serving you. Release whatever's not good for you. Release it and allow yourself to continue to grow into your new best self. But you can't do that if you're holding on to old stuff. So GFR crew, I implore you to release whatever is not serving you and release it gently. The leaves, when they fall down from the tree, they just shoot, 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 they float down, right? Like they float, (laughs) they float on down to the ground. Let whatever needs to come off of you, release it and let it just float away and not be worried about where it goes. All right, love you all. Talk to you soon.
0: Hello, hello, welcome to the GFR show. If this is your first time with us, welcome, welcome. Today's guest may have brought you here, and that would be understandable because she is a powerful, powerful woman. Her name is Zarina El Amin, and she is an award winning anthropologist. She's an author coach, and her work. Revolves around helping clients create culture change through books and also through global experiences. And she's been featured in prominent media. She has worked for several universities, and she's also a mom of three. And she and I met several years ago when she joined a program that I was a mentor of. And she was in a group with two of our more recent guests. Dr. Venus Opal-Reese and Dr. Veronica Anderson. It was the three of them who were all women of color. And I really learned so much getting the opportunity to be their mentor and to sometimes just be a fly on the wall of their conversations. And she was considered the baby of the group. Because at the time, she was, I think, 34 or 35. And even though she was the youngest, she was by far the wisest, (laughs) I think. And you will see why. Even though she talks about a pivotal decision that she made, it's called the dumbest decision of her life. (laughs) Let me ask you too, before we really dig in here, what is the dumbest decision you've ever made in your life? Like, really think about it. Like, what what even comes to your mind initially when I just say, like, what's a dumb decision that you've made? I think it's a really actually fun question to answer because it's not something like, I don't often judge my past decisions as dumb. And I do believe everything happens for a reason. And gosh, if there's anything more apparent from the stories on this show shows that it all has a purpose, but that word dumb is kind of, it's kind of, I don't know. It feels like a little bit silly, a little bit lighthearted. And when she says it, it just doesn't sound judgmental and dark. Like I didn't even Like jump in to be like, don't call it dumb. Cause it was just, (laughs) it was so candid. And, and then she really goes on to share why she thought it was the dumbest decision she ever made. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to share what it is because I, I want you to get the whole context of her story. But I will tell you that when she turned 40, so she's 41 now, when she turned 40, which I learned is a sacred age in the Muslim faith. It is where you they believe, become like a full-fledged adult. She said she couldn't wait to turn 40 because she knew like, this is when I'm gonna be like the wisest. (laughs) And right around that time, her mother was diagnosed with stage four cancer, died the next year. And right around that same time, she divorced her husband of 14 years and moved in to care for her father, who she now is still caring for, who has stage four cancer. And our conversation is so wide-reaching. She's an anthropologist. She's an author coach. Her work revolves around helping clients create cultural change, both through books and global experiences. She loves to travel and I can't even, I I should have asked her this. I don't even know how many countries and places she's been around the world and she takes people on trips as well. And she talks about how travel is the thing that has helped her learn the most about herself. And how her first trip out of the country was, actually no, it was her second trip out of the country was she moved to Egypt right after college. And she dated a Serbian refugee who was in a different caste than she was as a English teacher from the States. And what an uh, like eye-opening experience it was for her. I mean, I could just go on and on about this interview. She has many more stories like that. She like lived in Sierra Leone right after their 10-year civil war ended. And not to mention, she's a mother of three, which is just, anyway, y'all. <laughs> and she calls herself Z. I cannot wait for you to meet Z. Zarina! You're on the GFR show. I'm so excited. Oh, finally I'm here. (laughs) Woo woo! woo -woo. (laughs) Oh my God, y'all. I wish you could see Zarina. Oh my God. From the moment Zarina entered my life, it got more colorful, I have to tell you.
1: She is wearing a beautiful
0: headscarf that I'll let you describe, because I'm sure there's technical way to describe it, and a bright red shirt. And then she always has amazing earrings that she's gotten from all over the world, I'm sure. Where are those earrings from? These are from Senegal, I think. Okay. They're amazing. And then these awesome, wide-rimmed glasses. (laughs) You just look fabulous, my dear. Reflections of you, Lisa. Reflections of you. Ah, ah. (laughs) you're so sweet. <laughs> you shouldn't have. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay. So I'm super excited to have you on the show and just y'all, it was really funny because I was asking Serena a little bit more about sort of like, where should we start the story? And she started telling me stuff and I said, wait, wait, let me just find out for the first time, like on air. Let's just, let's just stop, stop, stop. So y'all heard in the intro that I got the privilege of being Zarina's coach and mentor for a while, a few years ago. And that was, I just, it's just amazing. I learned so much. Her thing is all about helping people appreciate culture. And I for sure learned so much just being around you. And I'd like to talk about like sort of where that all started. Like how how did that, that passion, where did that all start?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, first of all, hi, GFR.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to be here. But you know, I'm a cultural anthropologist, but it
0: started out... Is that your degree? That's your degree?
1: That's my master's. My master's is in cultural anthropology. Wow. And my undergrad, though, is in computer science. So I, <laughs> I did not two, know that. That's so funny. Yes.
0: Two totally different sides of the brain working. But well, um, and that, I think that kind of sums you up, though, because you are like you have this technical... Organized, systematic brain, and then you're just like a woman of the world with like that flows with the rivers of the world. It's just yeah, that kind of sums you up. <laughs> it is.
1: I'm just weird. That's just put like that. Like yeah, it's well, a lot. I, of I don't even. We,
0: uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you could use that word. I I guess, but like everybody in my world is so fucking weird that it's like no one gets to say they're weird because it's all weird. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, you can say you're weird. weird I, I'm sure that's. Part of that, I think for many of us that are weird, that was part of something we needed to embrace at some point. So, yeah, you're
1: right. You have to embrace the things that make you a little bit different, but the things that bring you joy and it's the authentic side of you. But, but yeah, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and Detroit is a predominantly all-Black city. Predominantly Black, I should say. But my upbringing was kind of cultural because of my Muslimness. So my parents were Muslim. They raised us Muslim, which meant that we had friends from Pakistan, friends from Iran, friends from Iraq. We had friends of different cultures. But growing up in a Black city, like you kind of grow up loving your yourself, but not necessarily always being exposed to a lot of different people it's not like a multicultural high school or anything like that right so when I went to college I went to Howard University in DC and I went and I did the undergrad thing that you're supposed to do right like they tell us Zarina go to school get a good grade and when you graduate, find a job with benefits. And so that was the path that was instilled in, in me like most middle-class people, right? Like that's what you're supposed to do. Yep. But when I got to Howard, like something kind of like clicked inside of me. And I started to have this big yearning to see more parts of the world. That was the first time I went to Switzerland. That was my first international trip. And when I went to Switzerland, it was the mountains. It was the the air. I was like hooked. I was like, oh my God, I'm a person of the world. So Lots of white people though, I'm sure in Switzerland. white people, but I'm cool with that, right? Like yeah. I, I, I flow anyway, so I'm cool, great. So it kind of unlocked something in me that wanted to just see more places, meet more people, do new things, all of that. And so when I came back to school, to college, I was like, oh my God, I'm stuck in this degree. <laughs> like, what am I gonna do? Because I was stuck at that point. I was already in my senior year. You're Uh, not going to change your major at that point. You know what I'm saying? Like, that would be dumb. That would be very illogical. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, who's going to waste all that money? So I decided, though, in my senior year that I was not going to take any of my job offers in computer science were just like sacrilegious yes then, everyone's calling you crazy i'm sure <laughs> yes they were like that was kind of dumb You went to school <laughs> for all this time and you got these big money job offers and you're going to turn it down to do what and i was like well i'm going to go teach english and they're like uh they're sound <laughs> like no money z That sounds like you're gonna be broke and i was like yes i'm broken money but rich in spirit so but that was really like the change. I decided that I was going to go and I and I went to Egypt and I lived there for a year and I studied, I studied culture. I started going through all the world markets. And from there, my whole life pretty much changed because I learned so much about the world, but I also learned so much about myself at the same time. So that's kind of the, the impetus to the start to this new life that I have now.
0: Do you think that learning about the world was like, do you feel like the opening that you had around learning about the world was a necessary gateway for you to learn about yourself?
1: I think that every time I get the opportunity to sit down with somebody that's a little bit different and see how other people do this thing called being human, I learn more about humanity. But yeah, I learn more about the way that I choose to be human. And it makes me recognize how I make certain decisions, why I make certain decisions, how I believe certain ways, why I believe. Like when I see other people doing it differently, then it makes me check why I do things the way I do. And if the things that I'm doing are authentic to myself, meaning are they useful? Are they serving me or are they just things that I just picked up along the way and they've just been instilled in me through the culture that I'm in, right? And so I feel like every time I get a chance to step outside of myself, it's like putting a magnifying glass onto my own personality, my own ways of doing life. And then then having that space to do the introspection and making adjustments if necessary. I may meet somebody that has a new way of looking at something. And I'm like, oh my God, I never really thought of it that way. And then I may choose to adopt That way of looking at it because
0: it serves me better than the way that I knew up to that point. You know what I mean? Yes. And I like your definition of authenticity. Is it useful? And like, is it authentic to me means is it useful and is it serving me? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think
1: a lot of times all of us get caught up, though, right? I mean, we're human. So you get into the culture that you're born in and you start to absorb certain beliefs and ideals and things that you get seeped deep down into your way. But you don't necessarily know, like, why am I doing it this way? Did I make a conscious decision to do it this way or was it just the way it's supposed to be done or whatever? Like, quote unquote, the way is the way. So yeah, you got to kind of have that space to be authentic and and
0: allow yourself to dissect
1: the truth of it all and which
0: way is it going. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about, or the sort of like the gateway that you use cultural and new cultural experiences, new experiences, a way to do that. And I'm thinking about myself and how I have this sort of habit of just questioning all the things. <laughs> so I'm just sort of like, does it have to be that way? Or why are we thinking that way? Or why are you yeah. thinking that way? And I had a like a ten year period in non monogamy, and of course that was like a huge questioning of like the right way and the way everyone says it should be. And my husband and I used to just geek out on how much of a rebel how rebel we were being because it just was so radical and fun to to let go of the rules and then find our own way. Really, because I for sure had knew nothing about anything else than you you meet somebody and you get married and you have kids and you like nothing else was really there. I didn't, I didn't explore. I don't remember really exploring my sexuality. I remember exploring my gender identity. It was just sort of where I went. So I really, I feel like I get you, (laughs) get where you're coming from. And and I love that you use the study of the world to do that. So you made, uh, you mentioned that when you went to Egypt is really when you started to kind of like, question things and learn about yourself. Can you remember one of the highlights that you learned about yourself during that time? Well, first of all, I had this,
1: I, I met this guy there <laughs> who became my fiance. That'll do it. Right. Oh, he became your fiance. Okay. Oh, he became my fiance. So we were in, engaged while for, for some time, he was through the knees and that was a thing in and of itself because I had two lives, if you will, when I was in Egypt. Egypt, of course, is in Africa, right? But a lot of times Egyptians often think of themselves as different than quote-unquote Africans, and especially Sudanese. So he was a Sudanese refugee living in Egypt and class and all of that. Like Sudanese refugees were put on a very low totem, on the lowest area on the totem pole, right? So when I was going around with my fiance and his friends, and I was teaching English to these Sudanese refugees, and I'm walking around with my brown skin, right, I had a whole different life. I remember sometimes I would walk through the market, and somebody would call out like, "asmara," they would call out like black, or they would call out like slave, and this and this, right, literally walking down. And every time, because my Arabic is, not good at all there would be things that they would say that i wouldn't catch i wouldn't pick up on it right and so i would have to ask him like hey what they say and so then he would tell me you know what they said at that point now just suppose that to my life as this privileged english teacher at one of the schools right one of the english schools that they're paying money for and i'm the only american teacher but everybody else they were all white teachers from South Africa. And then the others were all from Europe, right? And so when I would go around with my peers from the school, (laughs) it was two totally different Egypt. I swear, it was like two totally different Egypt. And that makes you think, right? It makes you think a lot. I'm the same person. I look exactly the same. I'm dressing exactly the same, but depending on who I'm with, it's how people receive me and then how they assign value to me. So I learned a lot about racism. I had to go to Africa to learn about racism, right? But I learned a lot about racism. <laughs> <laughs> I learned how I deal with conflict, how I deal with people when they're saying things to me. So it was a, it was a great time, but it was also at a point where I was just like, I'm out of here. Like, Really, almost just at the year mark, I was like, "Okay, I'm done. Like, this served this time, but it's time for me to go." And then I left.
0: Yeah. Wow. So interesting to hear you talk about your experience through my deep dive into my unconscious racial bias and and my transformation in that area that I'm still very much in. The group that I'm studying with, we're reading or I'm listening to the book "Cast" by Isabel Wilkerson. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've you've read it, but I haven't read it yet. It's uh, really, really fascinating. And as a Jew, a big part of what I'm learning about with that book is how much what happened in the United States impacted Germany, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And Hitler and how he learned from us kind of some of the shit that he did there and growing up growing up jewish and going to hebrew school we just learned like hitler bad horrible that happened in germany over there there that right. was just horrible not kind of all of the atrocities that were happening here over a much longer period of time and much and and part of sorry i went off on a tangent which i do cuz i'm so passionate about what i'm learning right now mm-hmm. um but the thing that i've cast is all about the hierarchy that is assigned in different parts of the world, it's everywhere and and how different parts of the world have different caste systems, India and the United States and all over. So that's what I'm hearing. It's like you were kind of straddling two castes while you were there. And that must have been a really interesting An eye-opening experience.
1: It was definitely eye-opening, and also I recognized that my parents. When my parents came, they came to visit. First of all, they didn't come until I said I was getting married. And when I said I was getting married, they were like playing over. Well, that was my (laughs) next question: What happened to the fiance when he decided to leave? But we'll get. We broke up after a while because cast it's like no but no it would not yeah. worked out but that wasn't really the real issue it, it was some other things but but it wouldn't have worked out but when my parents came right so my parents are black american my father is six six tall dark skin right he's he's dark skin my mom is like regular brown skin i won't say regular but you know like a brown skin browner right. lighter brown or whatever than my dad but you know if you were to look at my dad without his dress or whatever, you wouldn't necessarily know where he was from. But what I noticed when my parents were there was that when they were walking around, like, they didn't get, they didn't understand that some of the things that were being said to us, right? Like, I kind of understood at this point, like, the cast and how certain groups were on certain levels or whatever. So I remember, for example, we were traveling they wouldn't let my fiance stay in the same hotel room with my father. We were going to get one room for the women, one room for the men. They wouldn't let my fiance stay in the same hotel room as my father because they said they had to protect the tourists from, wow. the, from the refugees, right? Wow. So it was a big deal. Like you like, what? Like, oh my God, he's human. He's with us. He's traveling. He's our friend. And they would not let him stay in the same hotel room for protection of the tourists we were yeah, air quotes tourists. is what
0: are we happening here with, with yes. the board protection. Doing yes. air quotes like y'all yes. can see but you know what i mean yeah. Quote,
1: protection of yeah the tourists wow. so you know i'm just saying that like there are so many things once you start to get outside of your your regular comfort zone your regular routine of life and the spaces that you're in and you get outside of that You see how other people relate to you, how they react to you. And then you can dissect and learn a little bit more about humanity as a whole.
0: Yes. 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 Amazing. So at the year mark, you are clear. You are done with Egypt and you come home. Yes. I came home to the
1: States. And then I was like, what am I going to do now, Z? Like, what you going to do? So, <laughs> Z,
0: um, what you going to do, Z? <laughs> <laughs> what you gonna
1: do? I knew I would not go back to my corporate career in computer science because even though it was great money, it just didn't fulfill me anymore. It wasn't going to work for me. And so I don't remember how I found out about this job, but somebody asked me to do some work in international development. So I remember going in, it's an international development organization, NGO, right? And they were based out of Iraq, but they had field officers in Sierra Leone, West Africa. And if you've ever seen the movie Blood Diamonds, or you've heard about the diamond mines and such in West Africa, you know that there was like a 10-year civil war in Sierra Leone over control of the diamond mines in part, right? Right. And so I was stationed to go to Sierra Leone right after the war ended, about a year or so after, maybe almost two years after the war ended. And my job was to go there and revitalize all of the orphan programs. There had been some orphan programs and of course war. So when you have war, you lose parents, children become orphaned. So there were a lot of children that were orphaned. And so my job was to go back into the country, kind of revitalize the programs on the ground. And I tell you, like I was supposed to be there like the giving, right? So I'm the American coming in with the money, with the finances, walking around with the position, all of that kind of stuff. First of all, I'm young. I'm like 23 Wow. Maybe like 23 or something. And some of my staff members are like sixteen. you know, <laughs> so there's <laughs> that dynamic. But I'm supposed to be coming in and like being the giver, but I received so much more in that line of work. I learned about forgiveness because the people that did these atrocious crimes and things like in the community, there was a lot of amputations, all kinds of stuff, right? Like they had a system for bringing these people back into the community. And I couldn't even imagine like, dude, like you cut my sister's arm off. And I'm supposed to like see you and Holy be able shit. to walk in the community with you? Like, no, but they had a way of radical forgiveness, I would say, wow. and also like radical resilience. I was looking around like, oh my God, I don't know how y'all are doing this. I just don't get it. So I learned a lot there. And I should say actually in Sierra Leone there was these two girls outside of my office building and every day they would peel these oranges, right? Like they would peel oranges and sell them. So if you imagine like some girls peeling oranges and they would just pile them up into a triangle of oranges and they would just sell them. So the okay. oranges there, first of all, you don't peel them like American oranges. You have to use a knife and you peel oh, okay. it with a knife. And so then that's why it was a
0: big value to have it peeled for you. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> this it. is why It's
1: not just like, oh, they're peeling oranges. Now you have to use a knife and you kind of like squeeze the orange and drink it like juice instead wow. of eating the pulp and all of that. So anyway, these little girls were outside every day of wow. my office building. And I remember I said, why are they out here every single day? Like, why don't they don't go to school? Like, what's going on? And so I learned that those girls had to participate in the economy of their family. So they had to make the money. And that's why they were not in school. And their parents and the grandparents didn't have money to pay for their school fees. Right. So I was like, "Okay, well, if we were to cover their school fees, would they allow them to go to school? Because even if you cover the school right. fees, that's now they're not selling the oranges no more. So they're losing that money. So we negotiated with the parents and the grandparents, and they said yes that they would allow the girls to go to school. And so I started sponsoring those two girls. And then I called home and was like, hey, mom, brother, (laughs) hey, like we need to sponsor these girls, blah, blah, blah. And so we started a small scholarship fund for school fees in Sierra Leone that continues to today. So that was like 16 years ago. Oh my gosh. That was like 16 years ago. Yeah, so since, dang, good God, I'm getting old. That was 16 years (laughs) ago, but yeah, so we- That's amazing. And
0: just as a curiosity, how much is it to sponsor? Well, we started, I think it was like 200
1: a girl for a year or something, or for like a semester. I want to say it was either a semester or a year at that point. And now we are at, we do some other things now. So we also do the school, but then we also give like extra shoes and stuff like that. But for like less than $300 for someone, you can really, you can literally change their entire, entire life. Yeah. That's amazing. So So how long were you there for? I used to go back and forth, back and forth. I worked there for about a couple of years, but... I stayed some months, then I would come home and then I would go back. And so all of these types of things like really started to connect me to the world. Also teach me how to travel in the ways that I like to travel. I like to be on the beach and chill and I like resorts and all of that. And I do do that. But I also like to be able to see the people and learn more about the culture and the history of the places and meet the artisans and all of those types of things. And just learn, really, honestly, as I say, just learn more about how people be human, like how they do this thing called being human. I get off on it; it's like a drug, really.
0: I and I get—I know draw. that about you.
1: <laughs> yeah, and when I don't do it, I—I I
0: feel like I'm going through withdrawal. I get the shakes. Like, I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> like, <laughs> When did you meet your husband? How long, like, after Yeah.
1: This- Ooh, so now you want to go into, like, how I got withdrawal, actually. Because this okay. was one of the dumbest decisions of my life, really. It was really not that smart. But so as you see, like, this was my life, right? I was international, all of that. I was in yeah. Sierra Leone. I was single. And I remember I made this prayer one time on the plane. You're flying in the air and you're looking out over the clouds (laughs) and you just have that little feeling like so connected to the world and so connected to God and all that. And I remember like, oh, God, please let me get married. Let me find a man that's for me. So I said this prayer. I remember like saying this prayer, looking out (laughs) at the clouds, and I got this Yahoo message. From my mom, <laughs> we didn't have all the stuff that we have now, right? But you had <laughs> that, that Yahoo Messenger, right? And right, right. He was like, somebody wants to meet you. Somebody wants to introduce you to meet this guy, and that ended up being my ex-husband, right? And so I was in Sierra Leone at the time, and I was like, I'm all the way over here, or whatever. But yeah, so we ended up meeting, and we got married. He was doing his doctorate in psychology, and I so. so stupidly put my international life that fulfills me that feeds me that is a part of me <laughs> to the side and try to adopt the normal middle class well we were grad students so we were cheap. we were poor he was a grad student going for psychology but I tried to adopt the regular I guess middle class life. And it lasted for a little while. Then I started getting the withdrawal shakes. Like, oh,
0: this ain't good, Z. Like, this ain't going to work. So- <laughs> I like how you talk about yourself in, your, in the third. It's sort of the third person because you give yourself Z. But I know there's people in your life that say that to you, too. So it's like you talking to yourself and probably other people saying the same thing. So when did you know, when did you get to the point where you looked back on that and thought it was stupid? Like, what? how, how much in retrospect did you know that that was dumb?
1: Around, it was maybe around five years into the marriage, maybe four years or so into the marriage, because he was doing his doctorate in psychology. And then I was like, well, what do I want to do? Like, what do I want to do now at this moment? And I decided that since I could go to school at that moment that I would go and I went for anthropology. So that's when I got my master's in anthropology. But it was a clear decision like anthropology. Culture, all of that. I was
0: feeling withdrawals. Right, right. And you thought you would get your itch scratched by going to school. Mm -hmm.
1: No, I was like, okay, well, I can't travel right now. So let me at least study culture. Yeah, that was really a time of connecting to like who I really am. You can try to be this little middle class nine to five, work at the university type person, but it ain't going to really work for you because you're (laughs) going to be miserable and you're not going to be able to even serve anybody because you're not in your true space. So that really was the time that I had to make some pivotal changes. So I went to school, I got the master's in anthropology. I started doing some more work in the community around diversity, leading lots of diversity workshops. Like I was the chick that put all the programs together for anti-racism, for all of those things. And I was good at it. Like I was able to open spaces where people felt comfortable enough to talk about the hard subjects. What was
0: it about you? Is it your Muslim faith? Is it just your your kind of world cultural exposure? Like what was it about you that had you be that person?
1: I think what they told me, like I've heard from others is that I have a sense of, if I'm Muslim. I don't care if you are or not. I believe that I don't care for other people. And it's just allowing people to be themselves in a space. And then also reminding us that what you believe right now is what you believe right now. And that may change. So allow yourself, if you're in this space, especially for diversity work, if you're in this space where you're coming in and you're trying to open yourself up, you're trying to evolve. You have to, first of all, be truthful with where you are. So don't try to sugarcoat stuff. So I didn't allow people to like try to sit back and sugarcoat it. Oh, we didn't do all that kumbaya. I, I made <laughs> people literally say the real stuff that they think in their head that they don't wow. ever want to bring out. Because in those, those anti-racism and those diversity, you start to get people that want to say the right thing. Yes. So they want to talk and they want to say the right thing just to look like, oh, I'm so enlightened or I'm really trying and this and this. And I was like, that's not going to work. Like if you're doing that, you're not going to actually get the true evolution that you're trying to get. And all of us are works in progress. And so we had to kind of create the safe space that allowed people to be vulnerable. And I didn't allow bullying. Like Like you're not going to get upset with somebody for where they are at this moment. Like this is where they are. And that's why we're all here. So I think those things allowed me to do that. But I would say as a facilitator, you have to really be confident and comfortable in your own space in order to create those types of environments for other people. Or else if I'm wishy-washy, if I can't be solid, my group, my people, they're not going to have the stability that they need to be able to go to the deeper levels. So I enjoy that type of work and honestly even though I don't do it in the same exact realm I still bring all of those things into my group programs when I'm taking trips when I'm taking people around the world when we're doing books like in our meetings and our individual classes and such the same stuff still kind of comes up (laughs) it's weird like that but the same stuff still kind of comes up so it all kind of works together
0: yes totally and I I always felt that about you. So this is kind of fun fact, y'all. So over the last month, I've had several people of color on the show and several of them were my clients. Now, what you don't know is they were all in a group together with me at one point. So Zarina, Dr. Venus opal Reese, and Dr. Veronica Anderson, the three of them were all in a mastermind group of like seven or eight at one point. And you were the youngest and everybody kind of called you the baby I think you were 34 35 or something at the time and but you were the wisest <laughs> you just oh. had this like you had this not that like oh she knew so much but it was like you were just you were the like abiding like unshakable sort of like you knew who you were and that was super clear and definitely felt sort of like old soul and still feel that way but you're not so young anymore <laughs>
1: I know, right? I'm 41. 41. I just
0: to say 42, but I'm 41. Yeah.
1: But I think getting outside of yourself and like even what you're doing with this GFR, right? Like Trying to get people to be real with themselves. Like this is the whole thing. If we are going to evolve as human beings, you cannot just coast. You have to actually do the introspection. You have to kind of like see what it is that you're doing, how it affects you. Like that thing you have you pull out, number four. I don't remember right now, but I know you told me to look at all the GFR things. And number four was about like how what I'm dealing with or my failures or whatever, like the struggles that I have, how they serve my clients. And I see that clearly throughout my life. Like literally everything that I've gone through, my divorce, everything has brought me to some additional skills and ways that I can help my clients. I'm clear about that. So I don't even care about struggle so much. Like It's not like, oh, I shy away from it because I see the beauty within it and I see the ease within it and I see them all as true lessons. And if I did not have those, I definitely would not have as much of the nicely, as you put it, wisdom or such, because you, you can't get it without going through some struggle.
0: I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I always, you've heard me say this, like the wormhole of the struggle is the best freaking credential in my book than any, anything else. Yeah. So you're talking about GFR commitment number four, trust that your struggle serves your mission. And I love that. And then the uh, the you're also referred to the idea and the confession question that goes with that one, which is how will what I learned from this struggle serve me and my clients? Yeah. So yeah, I totally hear you. And so you mentioned your divorce. So what? So talk to us about that and what you learned and how you feel like that does serve you now.
1: Yeah, if I'm 100% honest with the divorce and things that I learned over the span of the 14 years that I was married to my ex-husband, I think I didn't live in the space of authenticity. I think there were clearly things that I knew before we got married and things that I knew afterwards where either I pushed it to the side, like my whole quitting my international jobs and going to Kalamazoo, Michigan to live as a grad student. Like, (laughs) what the hell? Like What the hell, Z? Right, like what the hell were you thinking? Like literally you were a person of the world and then you thought you could just shut that off and come and live in a grad school environment and not have some type of withdrawal. Like that stuff doesn't make sense. But I think I felt like, oh, he's a great guy. This is a smart thing to do, do this for a moment. And that just wasn't being authentic to myself. And I allowed... I say I allowed now because I used to have resentment. Like I felt like he was forcing me to do certain things, but that's actually not true. I had, I made those decisions myself to put myself in certain situations. So I would say I allowed myself to live in the spaces of of untruth and things that didn't really serve me. And until it came to a moment where it was clear that this dude was not the dude for me. Like it was literally like no, no doubt no oh maybe we can work it out like it was just clear like nah see this dude does not is not going to be able to support you in the way that you need to be supported and that was around the time that my mom she got diagnosed with cancer subsequently died and dude was like apathetic and, and straight ghost in my mind and I was like oh like this is the time when I actually need you. <laughs> I need my husband now. All the other times when I'm strong and I'm doing all this and I'm yes. supporting you while you're doing your work and your stuff. I was like, this is the time when I actually need you. I felt like my heart opened up and like, oh God, opened it up and like a bird would fly out of a bird cage or whatever. Like that was how I felt like his, my, his heart, like just came out of my heart. Like he was gone. I had no feelings anymore. It was clear. Like, you're not going to hold on to this. It's not going to work for you. And I'm sure on his side, everybody has, you know, two sides to every story. So I'm sure on his side, he had his things, but on my side, I was like, yeah, this is a wrap. This is, This is is (laughs) This is a wrap. This is a wrap. This is done. But you know what? I tell everybody now. I tell everybody if I had not started my business beforehand, do you understand how jacked up I would have been? Like as a single mom with three kids without having like had a solid income for myself. I would have been really, really just in a bad position, so my business that I started, even though it wasn't like a multi-six-figure business at that point and stuff, that the foundation that I had laid like saved my life, literally, like literally wow. saved my life.
0: Wow, wow. Well, and I could say, well, you could have had a corporate computer career going at that point, and wouldn't that have served you? She says. She says poking you in the side.
1: Right. Yeah. I would have died in other ways, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. I would have had some money, but I definitely would have died in other ways. Like once you get a taste of freedom, that's kind of what I call like what I do freedom business. I cannot go back to a regular nine to five position where I don't have the autonomy, and the ability to work when it's good for my soul. One of the things that Facebook, this is so an the side, but I'm going to say it anyway, like how Facebook has those memories where yes. it'll pull up and then show you different memories. I have learned now through those memories that I have certain rhythms to the way that I work. Like there'll be times September 21st may come up and I look back at some of the other years And what my mindset was or what I was dealing with or something at that point or how I felt is the same way that I'm feeling now. And so what I'm actually trying to do, Lisa, is learn my own rhythms and Mm. my own seasons and cycles so that I can actually effectively plan out my business life and then also how I do the other things in life. Because if I can get more in tune to, okay, around this time of the year, you're feeling like you don't want to do drag. Like you don't need to do it. So I know don't plan any launches at that time. Like, don't just look out and be like, oh, this is a clear, plan. like, no, like ch- check in to see how my rhythm is. Yeah, girl, time. Yeah, I
0: love that.
1: Yeah. See now that's
0: the difference, arena, from when we were in the space together, because I feel like at the time you had the book thing going on and then you also were like, I want to take people on these trips. And I feel like, for most of the year or more, I think that we were working together, there was sort of a schizophrenia thing going on and <laughs> that you felt like you should like the book thing, it's like steady and it's there and I should do that. And then there's this trip thing and, and you said, I work when it's good for my soul. And then, and then yeah. you started talking about the rhythm thing. So I just, that makes me so freaking happy because <laughs> and I could see, and I could see how that's like another layer of you learning about yourself through different experiences and claiming you this is what works for me authentically. And I love hearing about that.
1: Yeah. It's a lot of introspection work and acceptance of self, right. And then designing the life around what I learned. So I'm still learning, but it's fun to do it this way. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And I appreciate what you shared about the clarity they had about your divorce. I have several good friends, (laughs) most of my good friends actually, that have been through divorce and tons of clients, obviously, but just and more common, it just seems like it just takes a really long time to finally get to the, like drawing a line in the sand. Like there's the awareness and then there's, well, we should try. And then there's, Oh, we tried. No, no, it's we're done. And then there's like, we should try again. And for people that are on a spiritual path, there's often like feeling like, Oh, I need to feel like I've done all I can. And I need to work on myself. And I know kind of, I think it slows down the process even more. I really um, find it interesting how just clear it was for you in that moment and that your mom's journey facilitated that piece of clarity it was absolutely clear
1: and it was also in my 40th year 40 for for many muslims i don't know in the jewish tradition but 40 is like a spiritual year we believe the prophet muhammad certain revelations at that point like 40 you're a grown person so I always looked forward to turning 40, right? It was like, I don't have any issues about growing older. I always looked forward to turning oh, 40. Interesting.
0: Can you and, share the thing that you, you said real quickly, because I want to learn about Muhammad and uh, what is, what is it? Yeah, the I, mean, I was
1: going to say like spiritually 40 is like, it, it is seen as the maturity year. It's the year that you actually become a, a full adult.
0: So, like, when you're 40, like you're an adult, adult. <laughs> and <laughs> now, then, what what is the what's the origin of the tradition of that, or the, the the thought behind that? You said something about Muhammad, but I didn't catch it.
1: Some of his revelations. So, some of the Quranic revelations came at that year of oh. 40 years old.
0: So, oh, it's oh. like.
1: Um, Yeah. And so for me, I always looked forward to turning 40. I felt like it was going to be just a pivotal year. And that's the year that my whole little life came crashing down. (laughs) Like, Like literally everything that I thought was a pillar, mom died, divorced, dad gets diagnosed with cancer. Like my son, my oldest son decided he wanted to study overseas. Like literally everything shifted in that 40th year. And uh, yeah, it was a little bit, it it was definitely a, I want to say tough, but that's not a strong enough word. (laughs) It Mm -hmm. wasn't like, a oh my God, you're dying Z type of year, but it was like light bulb. It was just like, oh my God, like, oh my God, I'm learning this. Oh my God. It was just like, I was constantly learning things. It just was an opening. I'll say it that way. It was like a yeah. opening. Yeah. It was like
0: a concentrated masterclass. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Drinking water
0: through a spiritual fire hose.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Like straight coming at me. Like, Yeah. So that's the way that year was. And the, really the last few years have been sort of like that in different ways. But now I don't really shy away from the, like the GFR thing number four. Like I don't really shy away from those things anymore because I see now that those are teaching tools and I learned from every one of them so yeah it's been cool wow Overall,
0: so yes cool overall I like that that's a good quote it's been cool overall <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's amazing I love oh, I love hearing all this so so as we speak you are living with your you and your kids are living with your father to help him through yes. his yeah his journey
1: he got sick and even now, even now, like today, even and like I was, I took him to the doctor earlier and there just comes a moment where you have to see like, what is really important? Like what is really actually important? I watched mom die. So I watched that. And so, okay. I saw all the steps that come in there. I saw all the regrets that we have about not asking enough questions beforehand and all those types of things. And so now I'm like, don't take this the wrong way. I don't want to sound morbid or whatever, but I don't know how long my father has, right? Clearly, none of us know how long any of us have. But with my father, with a terminal illness, I definitely don't know how long he has. And so I had to make a decision. Am I going to move into his home? Am I going to put him into a home? Like, what do I think is the best thing? And my brothers, who are amazing, but we all have different roles. Like I'm the hands-on one. They have different roles with this too. So we decided, well, I decided for me it was going to be the, the, what did, what did you guys used to say? You to say, choose your regrets, right? Choose yes. your regrets. And so for me, like, which one would I regret more? Would I regret being away from my father, putting him into a home or would I regret actually being in the same space and leaving my house? So I was like, okay, well, we're going to move in. That's what we did kind of, it wasn't like a wow. long 10 out thing. Literally the like half of my, my house is, I still have my house. I still have all my <laughs> I like stuff how you here. said I kept my house
0: for a retreat. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, a place
1: to go. Yeah. That's amazing. Like when you're a caregiver. Yeah. You got to have kind of have some time to yourself at some moments. And I'm actually a lucky caregiver because some of them, don't have any time, they don't have any family member, no support at all, right? And I'm lucky that one, I have the business that I have, so I can have some flexibility there. And then two, I have some support that will come in and kind of help me. Otherwise, I, I probably would be insane. So, yeah. Yes,
0: yes. Well, at the time of the recording of this, my mom's in the hospital. And I've been thinking the same thoughts around just such empathy for caregivers Mm -hmm. that are the primary, the only support, the basically sort of putting their life on hold or transition, like choosing to spend their life in that role for a significant period of time. And I know that you've had clients that we've all like, I feel like we're in the type of work where we get to know these types of parts of our clients' lives. And my mom is local. And mm-hmm. so is my sister and my mom and my, my dad are still together 50 plus years. And then my cousin, my cousin, who's also a son to her, who is a physician, lives nearby. And so he's been like the medical sort of person. So I'm so yeah. grateful. Like I don't have to pretend to have that or, yeah. or figure that shit out. I happened just this week, very grateful that I feel like it's not all on me as yeah. the eldest and all that kind of stuff. And by the time this airs, she will be well on her way to making a full recovery from a car accident that she was in. And it just, it is. Yeah. It's so it's very current for me in this you know, in this moment talking with you about it. And I just have so much respect for the decision that you made.
1: Yeah, I mean, watching mom too, I learned a lot about the importance of legacy and the importance of telling your story and leaving your story, right? And because, I mean, the things that I want to ask her now, we can't ask, right? Like that's gone. What's, and what is something that you would want to ask her? I really kind of want to know more about some of the struggles that she faced in life. My mom was a teenage mom, so she was uh, 16 when she had my brother. My grandmother helped raise him. So she didn't miss a beat. She went to college. She she didn't miss a beat as far as that goes. But I wonder just about, about her own struggles, about the regrets that she has. And like, I wish that I captured more of her stories for the kids, for my kids, so that they could actually read something. Like why I'm in books now, because somebody asked me the other day, they were like, Like, why do you do all that book stuff when you could just be traveling and doing all the fun stuff? Like, why are you doing the book stuff? And I was (laughs) like, for me, it's about legacy. And it's about capturing our stories and leaving those things because none of us are promised tomorrow. And I wish I had a book that my great grandmother wrote or like my mother, like that's Priceless. (laughs) Priceless, <laughs> like yes. that is absolutely priceless. So I know a lot of people. I have clients that that put out their books to build their businesses and all of that, and I love doing those books as well. But when I really think about like why I think God made me be in the book world, it's around the legacy piece, and it's around the living history piece, and it's the capturing the story piece, and I feel like that's that's why. And when I watched mom go through that, I, I recognized like the importance of the legacy. Like my kids ask, well, what what about grandma? what does she what did she do? Da, da, da. And some stuff I know, but some stuff I don't, right? And it's not that one book or would solve it all, but it's definitely a beautiful thing that we could give to my children. So now my dad, so that's a regret from mom's side, yes. right? Like we didn't we didn't write down her full story or anything. I just have little tiny snippets and now it would be dumb for me to have my father in the situation that he's in. And then I not capture his story. You know what I'm saying? Like that's yes. stupid. That's ignorant. If you learn something, you see something, you need to correct <laughs> it. So I'm looking at him. And so now we we created a whole book about sitting at the feet of the elders. I interviewed about 40 other black Muslim elders. Oh. about their stories, <laughs> their Wow. Lives. things that they went through spirituality being muslim in america all of that and so we've captured like a compilation of their stories and we're going to put that out next year so like for me it's it's those things are priceless and you can't really put like oh what's the value of this like oh my god like it's just you can't even conceive of how that makes my clients feel when they're able to do that for their people and then for us to be able to capture those things. So yeah, legacy, history, all of those things kind of all come together, if you will.
0: Absolutely. Yes. And I love seeing how you have kind of come back to the book business from just a such a like grounded, rooted, like clear purpose, like no nonsense. I'm not messing with you. This isn't about a book to, you a know, book to, it's your business card or to build your business. Like for you, it is so much deeper than that. And I know that your clients feel that. And that's why you've been so successful. And that you're also finding your rhythm, discovering your rhythm and honoring the, the travel bug. So where are you off to next? Yeah. I, I just decided, was it today or yesterday?
1: I'm going <laughs> to
0: <laughs> you that's how Z rolls. That's how she rolls. I just decided.
1: <laughs> yeah, spontaneous. But I decided I want to restart my monthly membership for women around travel. Around-
0: ah, that sounds familiar.
1: <laughs> yeah. My inboxes are always full of people asking questions about designing their life about these things I do I have these like little things that I sometimes share with others like I call it victory 90 but basically it's just the whole thing as far as goal setting and then using 90 day chunks right so I call it victory 90 and sometimes when I share with other people what I'm doing they're like oh I want to do it too so anyway yeah I decided I'm going to relaunch my my membership program for women called luminary And it is going to be for women who are anthropological, meaning they love culture, they love the world, but they also want to learn more about themselves at the same time. So it'll be business, all of that. But we're going to go to Tanzania next year. And every trip, we always do some type of custom service project, some way to give back. So I connected the other day with an organization around women's health maternal health and menstrual pads and things that keep girls out of school when it's like what people still don't go to school when they have their period like what like things like that like yeah wow it happens so many places so I'm super excited about this and I literally think it was today or yesterday I decided that I was (laughs) going to relaunch this program and the thing I want to say about that real quick right now is that I accept that for myself, like my business is art. And what I mean by that is that there are projects that are going to come to me and I'm not going to just put them to the side just because, oh, like you're doing this or you're doing this. Like there are certain things that, that are supposed to come through me. And when I view my business as my art, I am more lenient with myself. I'm more gentle with myself. I can create it. And then when I create that project, I don't have to live with it for 15, 20 years. Like I made that canvas. <laughs> it's yeah. out there. And I can go on and paint the next canvas. No one says Van Gogh could only paint one painting, and that's the only one he could do in his whole life. Like, that was your mission, Van Gogh. Paint that one. Like, nah, dude, he he painted tons. So that's the way I see my business going now. And that was a big shift for me because I kind of felt like, oh, you don't leave a business till you get it to to multi-seven figures. When you get it to multi-seven, then you can go do something else. And now I'm like, what feels good for me? And as long as I can pay my bills and live my life and be location independent, (laughs) I'm good.
0: Oh oh my gosh. It makes me so happy to hear Oh my, I just love, I love, I love, I love this version of you, my friend. I love the older version or the younger version, (laughs) the old, younger version. Um, I really just so uh, inspired by this version. My business is art. And that statement has helped you flow with things that are supposed to come through you. And I love the way that you're holding that. And I think that's going to help a lot of people because I'm all about surrender and flow and I've learned that my create my business is my creativity, the Mm. essence is the same, but I believe that what my business is, my art is going to help a lot of people because it's it's gonna help them hold it in a different way. Yeah. 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 This has been an amazing experience.
1: Oh, thank you, Lisa. For me too. It's always cool that I actually get it's introspective, right? Like when I talk about myself, I'm like,
0: wow, that's how you think. Like Externalize that wisdom, my friend. Externalize it. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hey, hey, that was Z, y'all. Isn't she just amazing? Oh my gosh. So I'm super excited about her freebie that she has for our, the audience, which is the complete self publishing checklist. So that link is in the show notes. And her favorite GFR commandment was number four, trust that your struggle serves your mission. And if you do not have your 12 GFR commandments yet, you will want to go to gfr.life forward slash 12C and you will get your beautiful PDF of your commandments and some instructions on how to find the one that will make the biggest impact in your life now. We call it your roadmap to getting real. So if you want to get real get the GFR commandments. And then please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss any other amazing stories. If you're new to us, I'm so glad you're here. And I would love for the other inspirational, mind-blowing, motivational stories to get to your ear holes. So please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I will see you soon.